If you do have your Bibles with you, turn to James chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be reading the first 12 verses of James chapter 4 here in just a little bit. I want you to think about your life with me just for a second. Over, over the, time, the, the time period you've been alive, some of you that will take longer than others, and uh, just think through your life, and I want you to think about what have been the times in your life that have been the most difficult and the most challenging for you? What have been the times in your life that have been the most stressful and just hard to get through? Think about those, those times, and, and, and there's, I'm sure there's several of them that come up. Now, I want you to remove out of those things, I want you to remove anything that had to do with a tragedy or an illness. Because a lot of times that's the first thing we think of. Man, you know, I went through cancer and that was the hardest thing I've ever been through or I lost my, lost my mother or my, my father to a disease or I lost a, a loved one in a terrible accident or those kinds of things or I went through an accident. So remove all those things and then think about what's left as far and, and then take out financial stress because that's like just seems to always be there. Then think about what are the most difficult things in your life that you've gone through that don't involve tragedy, illness, or finances, and chances are they revolve around relationships. It revolves around a, relation, a, a marriage that went bad, uh, you know, a friendship that went in the, in the tank, a, a, a difficulty you had dealing with a boss or an employee or a coworker or a, a, you know, a teacher at school or a principal or whatever it might be. Chances are you have struggled at some point in your life with some relationship issues. And if you have, you're not alone. That, that's one of the things that, that we deal with as we live on this earth. And we have, there's this tension that we live with as human beings. And here's the tension. We are designed by God to be in relationship with other people. That's the way He's made us. If we, if we try to go through life saying, I'm not going to be emotionally attached to anybody, I'm going to be completely independent, I'm going to be on my own, you're not going to be able to live like that. You're going to go into depression and it's going to be awful. And I mean, when, when they put people in jail, the, the worst punishment they can give them is put them into solitary confinement. And it, drive, it almost drives people crazy when they're in solitary because we are designed to be in relationship. But then the tension is, we're designed to be in relationship, but at the same time, Oftentimes it is relationships that cause us the most pain and the most heartache. I don't know about you, but I've, I can think of situations in my life where everything will seem to be going fine and then some relationship that I'm in, whether it's a friendship or something else, that person seems to, you know, all of a sudden have some problems and I think, man, if I, if I wasn't involved with this person, I'd have been happy today, but now I've got to carry that garbage that they just laid out here. And, and, and we all deal with that from time to time, don't we? And, and I don't know if, if you're like me or not, but, but as when those things happen in my life, it is always real easy for me to blame the other person completely. I'm real good about saying, here, here's one of my favorite things to say when this happens. I'm in a relationship with somebody and something happens, there's a disagreement, an argument, or they you know, didn't like something I did or I didn't like something they did. And the, one of the first things that will come to my mind is sometimes I say it out loud, sometimes I just say it in my mind is I'll say, well, they're just crazy. How many of you think that about people? I mean, you know, it, and, and so basically what I do is if you don't do everything the way I think you should do it, then I begin to believe you have mental illness in your, in your family. That, that's what I, that's just the first thing. Well, they're just crazy. 
And what a way to live for me to think that everybody who does something different than me is somehow mentally deficient. But that's what I'll do. I, they're just crazy. They're crazy to live like that. They're cra- if he's upset with me about that, he's just crazy. And I think maybe you're like me too. You might not say they're crazy, but I think, if we're honest, a lot of times when we have these relationship problems, the first thing we want to do is look at what the other person has done and we want to put all the blame on them. When James chapter 4, these 12 verses, James talks in here about relationship problems. And, and, and he talks about what causes that. And I believe that there's a, a, there's a bigger cause to most of our relationship problems that we're going to talk about today. And we're also going to talk about what we do about that. So let's, let's start with James chapter 4, verse 1. And uh, I'm going to read the first verse, and he just jumps right into it. He says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, it's because the other people are crazy, right? That's what we have just decided. What does James say? He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now, here's the interesting thing. The word there, desire, it comes from the same Greek word where we get our word, hedonism. You know what hedonism is? Hedonism is just doing everything exactly the way you want it with no worry about the repercussions, no worry about what it means for anybody else's life, and we just live trying to get as much pleasure for ourselves that we can get. And, and the, the, James says there that we have these desires that battle within us, and that is where the fights and the quarrels, the relationship problems that we have come from these desires that battle within us, these desires that live within us. Now remember, if, if you've been here for the, for the several weeks that we've been in the book of James, Way back in James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he talks about other desires that live within us. Look at these verses here, James 1, 13 and 14. They'll be on the screen. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. See, we have, as, as followers of Jesus, even, even, if you've, even if you've accepted Jesus, and you've trusted in what Jesus did on the cross to save you from sin, and Jesus has forgiven you of sin, and He's given you a new life, which is everything of what the New Testament talks about, even with that new life, we still have a sin nature that lives within us that will grow up out of us that will lift its ugly head from time to time. And, and James says in there that that sin nature is, is what causes us to be tempted towards sin and to do things we shouldn't do. And he said that same exact nature is the thing that causes these relationship struggles that we have. It causes these problems that you have relationally in your marriage or with your friends or with that family member who drives you crazy and you're not looking forward to seeing them at Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks and you got to start praying right now every day just to get yourself psyched up to sit across from them at the table. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And James says that that stuff grows up within us. That it lives within us. And then he goes on, and and he talks about this probably a little bit more in verse 2 and 3. He says this, You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, 
you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And here's the big, big thing I want you to understand today. All of us are going to deal with relationship issues. And when we have those relationship issues, they are really a symptom of a bigger problem. And the bigger problem is this, is that when our relationship with God is out of balance, then our relationships with other people will be as well. See, what happens is when we have a relationship issue, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or parents to kids, kids to parents, when we have that issue, we immediately want to blame the other person. We want to you know, do all this stuff. And we miss the bigger issue that maybe the reason we feel like we do, maybe the reason that this stuff has kind of sprung up from within us is because there's something going on between us and God. And when our relationship between here and here, between us and God is good, then our relationship between here and here is not good either. Our horizontal relationship between us and God has got to be right in order for our, ver- our vertical relationship. Did I get that right? Is this horizontal? That's vertical. I should have known not to try to work science into this. The one that goes up has got to be right for the one that goes out to be right. All right? Whichever one that is. Yeah. And then our diagonal relationships have got to be, I don't know. I know why I got messed up, because I talked to Mark King before church about a church named Vertical Church, and then I was making jokes about that, and that's why God just got me for that. But when our relationship with God is out of balance, then our relationships with other people will be as well. And I, I think that's why it's so cool in these verses that James talks about prayer, because he says that, that you do not have because you do not ask. And then when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That's in verse 2 and 3. What is prayer? Prayer is communication with God, right? In your relationship, in your marriage, or with your friendships, how important is communication in that relationship? Communication is huge, isn't it? You can think about, I've talked to lots of people over the years, and you have too. Folks that are struggling in some type of relationship, Take marriage, for instance, and you sit down and talk with a, a husband or a wife and they're being honest with you and telling you that things aren't good in their marriage. What is a lot of it about? They'll talk about communication. They'll say things like, we just don't talk anymore. Or, you know, he'll say something like, she's constantly on my case. Or she'll say something like, he just seems to be always getting mad and yelling. If he says anything, it's, it's in anger. And, and it's communication. Well, the same is true with our relationship with God. If our relationship with God is not good, it's going to be shown in our communication. It's going to be shown in how we pray or if we pray. And so what he says here is, he says, some of these things you don't have just because you're not talking to me at all. You don't have these things because you don't ask me for them. And then the other thing he says, sometimes you you ask and you don't receive because you're asking me for the wrong reasons. Kind of like that prayer, you know, that that, uh, that you pray when you're in school and you, you didn't study for your test and you go in and you're like, okay God, if you'll just let me pass this test, I promise that the rest of the year I won't talk bad about people, you know, or whatever, you make some kind of deal. Or God, if you, I, I know I, I'm doing terrible in, in my life and I'm running around on my wife and all this stuff, but if you save my marriage, I promise I'll you know, go to Africa and be a missionary. And, you, and we make these last-minute deals, and then we expect God just to say, oh, sure, here, just have everything you want. 
But we're asking with the wrong motives. We were talking about this passage the other day at a life group on Friday morning. And, um, and we talked about how Jesus told us in the Gospels. Jesus says several times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels, those four books of the Bible. He said several times in the Gospels, he would say, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, here's the key phrase in that is in my name. Because when we ask in the name of Jesus, that's more than just tagging on, and Jesus in your name we pray at the end. What it means is, it means asking with the right attitude, with the right mindset, understanding what it is that Jesus wants for our life, and us desiring the same thing for our life that Jesus desires for our life. And what James says here is, is that when we ask, sometimes we're asking for the motives of what we want for our life, but it's not what He wants in our life. And so then our relationship with Him is out of balance and we can see it in our prayer life. And our, when our relationship with Him is out of balance, it's going to be just a matter of time before our relationships with other people are going to be out of balance as well. And then, and then verses 4 through 6, he continues to talk about this issue. And he says this, and get ready, you know, James is just, he just lays the smack down on people regularly. And he just says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He calls to live in us envies intensely? That's kind of a hard verse to understand, but what he's basically saying there is this. God, in, in the very first commandment in the Old Testament, it says, don't have any other gods before me, is what God told us. And then he said, why? Because I am a jealous God. And here in verse 5, it says the same thing. God says, listen, I'm jealous for you. You are mine. You're not supposed to be anybody else's. And when you're out there trying to live and trying to do what the world wants, and then also trying to tell people you love me, I'm jealous for you. I do not want that for you. And see, when our relationship with God, the reason it gets out of balance oftentimes is because we forget that we belong to Him completely. And we want to belong to Him on Sunday and belong to somebody else on Monday through Saturday. But He says, you're mine. And I want all of you all the time. And then, verse 6, He says, but He gives us more grace. We'll come back to that in a little while. This is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Now, we're going to talk in just a second, verse, the next few verses, start with verse 7, about what are we supposed to do about these, these relationship things, this, how we get our, our life out of balance with God, and then it's out of balance with other people. But before I go there, I don't want you to hear, you know, it might, you might be sitting there right now thinking, okay, Cliff, you're saying that every relationship problem I have now or I've ever had is completely my fault. It's only my fault. It's not the other person's fault. It's from the desires that battle within me. It's not that the other people are crazy. Slow down just a second. They also have evil desires that battle within them. They might really be crazy, all right? All the people I've had problems with, they really are crazy. It's not me, I'm telling y'all. Just kidding about that. But the thing is, is that you will in life, you will be rejected by people. You will be stabbed in the back. You will be talked about. You will have your good intentions misunderstood by somebody else. Those things happen. You will be taken advantage of. 
And those things are not your fault. Everyone has to be responsible for their own behavior. So in light of that, what we have to do is we have to control what we can control. And if you have a relationship issue, can you make the other person do what's right? No. And oftentimes, that causes more problems because we think we can. I see that especially in marriage. And not to pick on the ladies, but ladies, sometimes y'all have this thing where you think you can fix him. He was broke when you got him. He's going to still be broke. You can't fix him. God's, but God can. God can fix him, but you can't. And so what happens is, is that we have to understand, okay, I've got relationship issues. These things are real. They come up from my evil desires and from the evil desires of the person that I've got the problem with. But what can I control? Can I control them? No, but I can control me. Several years ago, um, we went to the beach. And, and I, get, I get one full week at the beach every year. And the minute I leave, I start looking forward to the day that I'm going back next year. And there's like 51 weeks of anticipating that one week that's coming back up. Well, this was several years ago now, but the girls were very young. Grace, I don't even know if would remember this. She was so young. We went down there and just had terrible weather almost every day. I'm talking rain and cold like where you, it was June, but you'd go out on the beach and you'd have to be wearing a jacket, and it was awful. And so we're watching the weather, you know, and it's like, okay, it'll only be like this the first day. Well, then it turned out it was going to be like that all week long. And so about the first day and a half, I was just in a rotten mood. And all of a sudden, I realized about halfway through the second day, you know what? I can't control the weather. I can't control whether it's going to be nice or rainy. But what I can control is how I react to it. I can control if we're going to have a good time or not. So I had to get my you know, rear end out of, the, out of the mud and just say, okay, time to, time to have a better attitude. And we, and we created fun that didn't involve what we normally do at the beach, which is going down there first thing in the morning and staying all day long and all that kind of stuff. And so we had to come up with something new. But I had to control my own reaction to it. What we're going to talk about now is we can't control what the other person does. You can't, you can't make someone do what they're supposed to do in your relationship. But you can control how you react. You can control what you do. And what you really need to do doesn't have as much to do with the other person as it does what you need to do as far as your relationship with God. So verse 7. I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. And then we'll talk about what James says we should do to get our relationship right with God. Verse 7 says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? 
There's three things that I think James says that we need to do to get our relationship right with God, and then in turn, that will help our relationships that we have with other people. The first one is this, recognize God's authority. Recognize God's authority. Whether you realize it or not, all of our life, we have to deal with authority. When you come out of the womb, you are immediately under the authority of your parents. And you grow up, up, grow up in a home where you are under the authority of your parents. When you go to school, you're under the authority of teachers and principals. When you get out and you get a, a real job and you leave your parents' house and now you're finally on your own, you can do whatever you want. You're still under the authority of the person you work for. You're under the authority, ultimately, of, of, the, of the law. If, if you can't just go out and do whatever you want, you're under the authority of, of what the laws of the state and the country are. And all of that is designed by God to teach us that we are under His authority. We have to recognize the authority of God. Romans 13.1 says this, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. By the way, read that to yourself Tuesday night as you're watching election results come in, too. There is no authority except that which God has established. And so we are constantly, from the time we're born to the time we go to the grave, we are under the authority of God, and then He's put these other things on earth to remind us of that. When you grow up in the home of a father who maybe you didn't understand, and you couldn't figure out why he did things the way he did, that was put there so that you would understand you're under the authority of a heavenly father. When you have a boss that you can't get along with, and you think you know everything, and he doesn't know anything, that's put there so that you would understand that you're the, under the authority of a heavenly father. And in verse 7, James says that we are supposed to submit ourselves to God. Submit yourselves then to God. And, and this means to give everything that we have over to Him and to give up on living life the way we want to live it and accept the way that He has for us. And then in verse 8, as we continue to submit, He says, come near to God, and then this is a great promise. Come near to God, and He will come near to you. I want you to understand something about the authority of God. He is not off in the distance wanting to control your life and what, look down on you and laugh at what happens to you and just sees, sees what's going on here on earth as some big experiment, He is right in the middle of what's going on in your life. And the Scripture says that if we will just take the smallest step toward Him, He is going to come to us. I think sometimes we view God as being way far away and we're climbing some type of ladder like we've got to try to get up there to Him. And we're, oh, I'm really close, I'm almost to God, and then, oh, I messed up, and I did this, now I'm back three or four more rungs. No, the Scripture says, if you make an honest effort, you make an attempt, and, and you're, you're trying in your life to be more like Him and to come near to Him, it says, come near to Him, and He will come near to you. And then he goes on in, in, in verse 8 to talk about what that looks like. He says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And hands talks about our actions. We do things with our hands. Hearts talks about our attitude. What we want to do and what we don't want to do. And then verse 9 is a verse that you read that and you think, what does this mean? Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And you think, what does this mean that once we follow Jesus, we just cry all day long? If that's the case, I'm in big trouble. My favorite thing to do is to laugh. I consider laughter one of my hobbies. 
Some of you jog and, you know, hunt. I laugh. That's the thing that I like to do. And, and so, what does this mean there? Well, what is taught, and, and by the way, I've known, some of you have probably known people that I think have read this verse and they've just taken it way out of context. And, you know, where I, I think about one person I've known, and every time you see this person, how are you doing? Oh, honey, I'm, I'm not doing any good at all. And there's always some new thing. And if they're doing okay, then somebody they related to is just in the worst shape they've ever been in. Please pray for them. They just aren't going to make it. You know, whatever. And I know life's tough, but it's like, does everything always happen to you? That's what I want to say to this person. What this means here, when he says, grieve, mourn, and wail, change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom, it's talking about take your sin seriously. As we submit ourselves to God, what will happen is, as we begin to recognize God's authority, the closer we get to God, then the more clearly we're going to see our own sin. Because we're going to be spending so much time learning about talking to someone who there is no sin in Him. There's no sin in God. There's no sin in Jesus. And so when we spend all that time with them, then our sin is going to become very real to us. And we should take that seriously when it does. The second thing he tells us to do, recognize God's authority is the first. Second one is resist the devil. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and what, what will he do? He will flee from you. Now you've got to submit first. You can't resist the devil without submitting to God first. You've got to recognize the authority of God, then you can resist the devil. But here's the great news. When you resist the devil, he has no power over you. There's a, um, there's a picture here of, of a guy, see if you recognize, anybody recognize that guy? That's Iron Mike Tyson. Now, this was before he had a tattoo on his face, before he was in the hangover, before he became, before he went bankrupt. This was the Mike Tyson that people my age remember and people older than me remember back in the late 80s. And back then, there was no better man on the planet than Mike Tyson. He would go into the, he would come into the ring. You know, that, there'd be some guys, you know, they'd have like, you know, carrying them in on, you know, like they were some kind of Egyptian king and they'd have all this music and all that kind of stuff. Mike Tyson didn't even have, wear a robe, you know, like boxers wear a robe. He'd come in with just black shorts, black boots with no socks, and that was it. He'd just come walking in there. They'd say, that's the guy you're going, and he'd go over there and just beat the daylights out of him in about 35 seconds. People would pay all this money to watch him thinking it's going to be a 15-round fight, and in about 45, 50 seconds, it was over with. He was just dominating everybody back then. And here was the key to Mike Tyson back then. He was awesome. He was a great fighter. But I believe the key was is that people knew when they walked in the ring they were going to get knocked out before they ever walked in there, and they were scared. And they got in there, and they didn't put up any kind of fight. They just walked in and thought, you know, I'm going to lose anyway, but let me go out here, and next thing you know, they lost. And they were scared before they ever got in the ring. I want you to understand something. If you are a follower of Jesus... You have given your life to Christ. You submitted to Him. The devil can't touch you without God's permission. And all you have to do is resist. Just put up a little bit of a fight. You're not going to lose just because He's the devil and you're human. You don't have to go into that thinking, well, it's over, I, I'm going to lose anyway, just like those people thought when they would fight Mike Tyson. Scripture says, and it's, I love the Scripture there because it doesn't even say, 
hey, fight against the devil. Figure out a way to attack the devil. Try to outsmart the devil. It says just resist him. He's going to attack you, and when he attacks, just put up a resistance. And it says when you do that, it's not like he's going to say, okay, you win, but I'm going to stay right here with you until I can mess with you again. It says he will flee from you. The only power that he can ever have over you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is any power that God would give him permission to have. Resist the devil. And then the last one is, recognize God's authority, resist the devil. And the last one is this, remember who the judge is. We did a whole message on this back earlier in, in the James series, so you can go back and listen to that. But verse 11 and 12 says, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge. Okay, who is it? Is it you? It's the one who is able to save and destroy, but you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? Remember when we did this, this message earlier, what did I say? We're not the judge. Who are we? We're the accused. We're the ones who are being judged by God. And if we want to submit ourselves to God and truly live the way He wants us to live, we've got to remember that He's the judge and we're not. And that everything we do has to pass through His judgment. Now, we start off, we're talking about relationship issues and you're thinking okay what what does this all have to do with relationship issues but if our relationship with god is out of balance and then that makes our other relationships out of balance then the best way to work on our other relationships is to look at our relationship with god first and it might seem too simple but i want to i want to close by telling you a story from my own life and um and as i begin to tell this uh, just understand that th- this is stuff I'm not proud of. Um, I don't share this story because, well, you- you'll understand as I tell it, I'm not proud of this in any way at all. But it's a, it's, it just was very apparent to me as I was preparing this message that this is what's happened to me, and I've seen this happen in my own life where, where I had a relationship issue with someone else, but it was really a relationship issue I had with God. Several Years ago, um, I had a relationship with a person that was completely broken. Um, and the way that I responded to this broken relationship, this was a person that when we first met, we never got off on the right foot and, and things just never were good from day one. And the way that I responded to all that is I completely put the blame on this other person. I did it internally. Um, I would do it talking to other people. When I talked to my wife, um, I put the blame on this other person. Uh, I responded by being disrespectful, by talking about this person when they weren't around, making jokes about them. Um, It was just very, very ungodly behavior in every aspect from me in regards to to this person. And uh, this went on for a long time went on for a long time, I was completely comfortable in what I was doing. I never once thought, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this. Or I never once had the inkling of, um, you know, this is, this is not the way you treat somebody. And I just continued to live like that. I thought that I was smarter than them. Uh, I thought that I was, you know, just a better all-around person than them. I thought that I was godlier than them. 
I thought all this stuff, and I walked around being comfortable with that. Then circumstances changed. This person actually moved away, and uh, I never still thought that, you know, what I thought about that person was right and lived like that and had no problem with my own uh, ungodly behavior. And then we, we go to a, a conference every October for the last several years uh, called Catalyst. It happens in Atlanta, and uh, it was 2008 at the Catalyst Conference, and we're, we're sitting there, and, and um, this pastor out of Oklahoma named Craig Groeschel was up there speaking. And, and he was talking about stuff, and I'm still, the, the last person on my mind was this, this person. You know, that was, like I said, that was not even a part of my life anymore. And Craig Groeschel was talking about stuff, and he talked about, are you really willing to do whatever it is God wants you to do? And he asked this question. He said, will you do whatever it takes to become whatever he wants? Talking about God. And he said, God wants, there's things that God wants you to be, and things God wants you to accomplish, but in order to do that, there's got to be changes that you allow him to make in your life. And he said, will you do whatever it takes to do whatever he wants? And, and what he did was, it, and he said, he, he said I want you to, I'm going to lead you through some time of prayer. So he was leading us through this prayer. And, and the last prayer, there was all these prayers. One was, I think, God heal me and God do something else to me. The last one that I'll never forget was God ruin me. Where you would pray to God and say, God, I want you to ruin me. And what he meant by that is, I want you to reveal everything about me that you want me to change. If there's anything that needs to change, I want you to show me. If it means blowing up my whole way I see things, do that. And I prayed that prayer, and I will never forget it as long as I live. Just as clear as if God was standing in front of me in bodily form, the first thing that he said to me was, you need to evaluate your relationship with this person. You need to apologize to him and you need to ask him to forgive you. Just as clear as a bell. And at that moment, it was like I started to see what I had really been all those years. I started to see how sinful I had been. I started to see how disrespectful I'd been. I started to see how ugly I'd been. I started to see how there was nothing in the way I treated him at all that had anything to do with the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It was so far from the golden rule that the golden rule was completely abolished in my mind when it came to how I dealt with this person. And God said, I want you to do something about it. Well, the first thing I wanted to say after that was... Is, Okay, God, I see that I was wrong, and I'll just ask you to forgive me, and that'll be enough. That's what I wanted to happen. I didn't want to have to go to this person and ask for forgiveness. Because just like the situation I described earlier, there were, there were things thrown at me from, from them as well. But God was saying to me, you're not responsible for anything anyone else has done. You're responsible for you. And so I went home and I began a process of praying through that and asking God and trying to figure out how to do this. And I knew that I had to. I knew that I would not be able to worship. I would not be. And, and here was the other thing about it. That while this was going on, I really thought it was just a problem with this one person but it was really a brokenness between my relationship with God. And what happened was, it affected so many other things. It, we had already started this church. It affected my preaching here. 
It affected my relationship with staff here. It affected my relationship with other people here. It was affecting so many parts of my life, but I didn't see it because I was closed off to it. And when God revealed it to me, I began to see it for the first time. So I made arrangements to, to, to apologize and to ask for forgiveness, and I did that. And I, and I worked over that thing for several days, and I wanted to be sure there was nothing. I didn't want to say anything along the lines of, because this is what we do sometimes, is we'll apologize and we'll say, well, I'm apologizing, but if you hadn't have done such and such, then I wouldn't have to do this. Where we want to, So I made sure that there was none of that in it. And I asked God to remove all that stuff from me. And what you want to hear when I tell this story is you want to hear the end of the story where the person said, Cliff, come to me into my open arms. I forgive you, my brother in Christ. It didn't work out that way. They accepted the forgiveness. That they accepted my apology. They never said, I forgive you for what you did. In fact, their response was a little more along the lines of, well, I knew that these things happened in my life because of you. So it was kind of a, you know. And there was nothing from them to say, and I apologize for anything I did to you. But here was the thing. I was great with that because I had prayed and God had told me, this isn't about what they've done, this is about what you've done. And I knew before I went to apologize and before I went to ask for forgiveness, it had to be okay if I didn't get a positive response. And here's what I discovered, and here's what happened to me. Is that began a process of me getting back to God, and I did not even realize that I'd been that far away from God. And I'm not, I'm a pastor of a church. I was standing up here every week, opening up the Bible and teaching you. I'm a, you know, telling my kids about scripture and telling them about who Jesus is and at the same time I was doing all that I was moving myself so far away from God that I didn't even realize it and it was manifest you could see it in this relationship problem that I had and once that once I did what I knew I was supposed to do that began a process of me coming back and the verse that says come near to God and he will come near to you I began to experience that and it began a and it wasn't overnight. It was a long process that, that went through with, over the last year. I've been doing some counseling and things like that to try to just to be sure I want to be exactly where God wants me to be. And all of that began that day in October of 2008 when God said, this is what you've done. And it disgusts me and I want it to disgust you and I want you to do something about it. James 4, 6 there said, but He gives us more grace. And I experienced that. Because I didn't deserve... What I deserved is for God to say, you have been so disgusting to this person, you don't deserve to be a pastor, you don't deserve to have any spiritual authority in anybody's life, and I'm removing you from that place. But God gave me grace. And then verse 10, James 4.10, where it says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. And the lifting up of me wasn't for people to say, look at how good you are, Cliff. It was a lifting up that happened in my spirit. Now, I tell you all of that, not so that you'll pat me on the back and say, wow, Cliff, you are so humble. I know that was hard for you. 
In fact, if you want to do that after the service, I'm going to ask you not to. Because this is not about patting me on the back for just doing what God told me to do. I would want you to pat me on the back if I never acted like that towards that person. But I did. This is what I wanted you to think about. What does submitting yourself to God mean for you? What it meant for me was I had to deal with this thing. Now the way you're going to know is not by just scrolling through and thinking, okay, what might it mean? You need to pray that prayer. You need to say, God ruined me. God, I want to do whatever it takes to be the man, to be the woman, to be the young person that you want me to be. And then when he tells you what to do, do it. The great thing about our God is, is that he judges our sin, but then once he judges our sin, once we can see it, he says, now, I'm going to forgive you of this sin. And then he allows us to live a different way. And I will tell you this. I'm not perfect. I still have relationship problems. I still will say somebody's crazy. But that experience with that relationship and what God had to do in my heart has changed me forever. And it's changed how I deal with people. It's changed how I deal with friends and staff. And it's changed me forever. And I'm closer to Him than I ever was back then. And I pray that if I do something that stupid again, that it won't take me so many years to see it. This is what I want us to do. We're going to pray. And I just want you to think through your relationships. Think through what's going on in your life. And where there's an issue, I want you to pray and ask God. Say, God, what, is, what do I need to do? What's my issue with you? Because that, that struggle you're having with your husband or your wife or your teacher at school, chances are there's something in your life that you need to submit to God about. So as I pray, I want you to think about what would it mean for you to submit to God, to come near to Him, and to humble yourself before Him. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for grace. Thank You that You forgive us if we ask. And I pray for each person in this room and for myself, that we would daily submit ourselves to You. That we would follow You no matter what. We would do the difficult things in life. And that we would always honor You with the words we say, with the way we treat people, and with the places we go. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.